Hello and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Kevin Heath, who is the CEO of Waypoint 2 Space, which is the only company in the USA to have FAA safety approval for four commercial space training programs. And Kevin's also the founder of Space Crystals, which is the only company that's developing the means to bring people's DNA to the moon. So welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Your latest venture has been a big hit. In fact, I know about you because I'm a board member together with Bob, and he's like, you've got to talk to Kevin. He's got to be your podcast guest. He's up to so many cool things right now. So I appreciate you making the time to be here. And I don't know, people like Bob and, and I'm sure others, you know, have a little hope that they can live on forever in the form of a DNA in the moon. <laughs> so I'm curious, before we go into your leadership experience, how did you birth this idea? So I've been in aerospace for 20 years. I worked on the Spaceship One program, the Dream Chaser space plane. I've been around NASA and, and commercial space for quite some time. I, I'm very excited about what's happening you know, with potential commercial space stations and landing on the moon again. And that's opening up a lot of opportunities for people to be creative. And I came up with this idea actually a couple of years ago, but I couldn't make it happen. But now that there's commercial space flights to the International Space Station and NASA has awarded seven commercial lunar landers to actually go and land on the moon, now all of a sudden we have access that we never had before. So we put this program together slowly, just trying to figure out exactly what we could do the you know mosquito in the amber of the Jurassic Park movie always sat with me and said, wow, I wonder if that's really possible to actually preserve DNA. And through talking with my scientist friends, we started trying to figure out what, what would be the best way to truly preserve it because amber is not the best solution. Mm -hmm. It will degrade over time. So we started thinking about synthetic crystals and NASA has been growing crystals on the space station for a very long time, and but never to this size. So we actually had to do a demonstration flight earlier this year just to make sure we could actually do this. And we proved we could. We got 36 crystals back from the International Space Station. And now we're we're up and running. I don't know if, if I can describe the program, but basically if when we send out our DNA kit and you send it back, we actually turn that DNA into a solution and it's a crystal solution. We launch it to the International Space Station, two of them per customer. And in space, traveling 17,000 miles an hour, they are growing in into two totally unique crystals with your DNA embedded in them. And we bring them back to Earth. We give one to the client where they can put it in a bracelet, necklace, any type of jewelry, display it however they want, but it's theirs to keep. And the sister crystal we take and we put it into a time capsule built by Texas A&M University students, a part of a capstone project. And that time crystal, along with one gigabyte of personal data from each client, so they get to send up stuff about themselves, books they've written, pictures, YouTube videos, TikTok, whatever they want to send up that tells the story of them. So that data, along with their crystal, gets bolted onto the side of a lunar lander and gets sent to the moon forever. So the point of that was we always see that image of Neil Armstrong's footprint on the moon, and they say that footprint will be there forever. Well, so will your crystals. They Once they arrive on the moon, they will be there forever. And then you have your sister crystal here on Earth, and every night you look up at the moon, you have what we call the crystal connection because you your crystal is tied to that DNA crystal on the moon forever. Wow. I cannot imagine a better 
better unique gift for those who already have everything they can possibly think of. Yeah, and that that's an excellent point because unfortunately it is very expensive just to send stuff to space. So and we we hope to drive the price down, but right now it's about a million two just to send a kilogram of payload to the moon. So this is very, very expensive. So it's about $150,000 per client. But for this entire program, I mean, that's something you can't do anywhere else. So it's very, very unique. And since payload space is at a minimum, we can only fly a maximum of 522 people. That's it. Mm. Worldwide. Yeah. Wow. Well, I wonder if part of your leadership success has to do that you're someone who either thinks outside the box or, or is very innovative. What would you say? Well, I'd say it's a little bit of everything. I hate to say that. I mean, I'm an idea person. I, I try to think of, like you said, outside the box, tackle problems in new ways. But one thing I found that is tried and true with me is persistency and consistency. I see a lot of folks that have really, really great ideas and they take it to a point and they just give up and they might have just been there. Now, I've also seen other people run with crazy ideas and they go bankrupt. So you have to, you know, look at what you're doing. And yeah. if people are telling you you're, you're crazy, you might want to listen. But with the Space Crystals idea, as out there as it is, there's nobody that says I'm nuts. Everybody says this is totally cool. So you ah. just have to be persistent and consistent in what you're doing. You have to learn from your mistakes, fail forward faster, all of these um, tried and true techniques. You know, I like how Elon Musk goes out there and just keeps blowing up rockets because that's how he learns. So yeah. no matter what you're doing, you have to be able to adapt, but you have to be persistent. You have to every day you have to wake up and say, okay, what am I doing today to move this forward? Well, I can definitely see how, how that has helped you. At the same time, a lot of people might in theory agree with you or even have done some of that, but then they don't know how to lead people. And yet you've led management and business development teams for startups as well as mid-sized and Fortune 500 companies. So how much of your success do you think depends on your ability to, to lead people the way you do? Well, the first thing you got to do is find good people and, and empower them. A lot of folks are micromanagers and, and that really deters people. So you have to start Try to get as, as good as people as you can. Another mistake I've seen a lot of people do is they try to make people do stuff that maybe is not in their expertise or their wheelhouse. I mean, there's nothing wrong with teaching people new techniques or new traits or new educating them, helping them be, grow, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to make an accountant be a business development person and they mm -hmm. don't naturally have those people skills, you know, you're setting up to fail. So first of all, you got to make sure your team, each person is doing what they can excel at. And then the second thing, is, I mean, and, and this is said over and over again, but it, it can never be said enough. You got to clearly state what your vision is and where you're headed so that people get buy-in and they understand and then let them go do it. If they understand the goal, if they understand where you're going, let them figure out how to get there. Don't tell them what to do. Say, this is what we want to do. We want to get your ideas on how to get there. Now, sometimes you might have to come in and adjust things left and right, but for the most part, if you empower them if they, have, if they take ownership of it, you're going to get so much more productivity out of them. And how did you learn that? Did you have a mentor or did you just learn by crashing rockets, so to speak, so you could learn from it? A little bit of both. When I was younger, you think you know it all and you don't want to listen <laughs> to anybody. But mm -hmm. I did have an, an older guy one time and he was kind of mentoring me 
me. And, and what I found amazing was the company made us do all of these activities, right? And we had to fill out these reports. And, and, I'm, and in my younger years, I was just like, why are we doing all this crap? I just want to go out there and I want to sell and I want to do my job. And, and, and he just did it. He didn't complain about it. He just, you know, this is what they require of me. So I'm going to do this and then I'm going to still do my job. And that was really impressive to me because he was nearing the end of his term. I mean, his career. And, mm -hmm. and you think of all people, he could tell them, hey, I'm not doing this. I'm, you know, I've, I've done that before and I'm done. But he didn't. He was like, no, this is what they're asking of me. I'm going to do that. And it just really kind of sank home with me that companies develop processes and procedures. And a lot of times people are just like, this is so stupid. Why are we doing this? Well, there's a reason you're doing it. Now, sometimes you can work with the company and help, you know, improve those processes and procedures, but they're there for a reason. Somebody in the past did something they wouldn't, weren't supposed to do or didn't know they weren't supposed to do it. And that's where these processes and procedures came from. So being structured and understand, okay, yeah, there's a lot of fun to a job, but there is a lot of structure. Like like we found out with mm. the, what's it called? The Bitcoin guy, not Bitcoin, but the other yeah. guy. You know, the CEO went in there that that took over and said, holy cow, these guys didn't do anything the way a corporation should. So, I mean, they went totally the opposite side and, just told, and they're, they're paying for it now. Yeah, you're talking about FTX, right? Yes, yes. Sorry, <laughs> yes, that's it. Yes. Okay. So, and you chose to pay attention to what the guy did and, and learn, but did you ever have a leadership blind spot yourself or did you ever struggle in leading others? Yeah. As an idea guy, I'm always coming up with ideas. Is and and you just you you're working on a project and all of a sudden you're just like squirrel you're like oh I I, I got an idea on that on that other project I was working and you run over there and you totally lose track of what you were doing on what on on what you were working on at the time so. What I've really, really tried to do is structure myself. So when that idea does hit, I just write it down on a piece of paper and then I focus on what I'm doing. And the reason people tend to squirrel is because they're like, I can't lose the idea. I, I, I got to get it, you know, while I'm still well, fresh in my mind. Well, then write it down. And the other thing that helped me with was a lot of times that initial idea isn't all that great. So if you have some time to think about it and then you go implement it, mm. you can actually look at what you wrote down and you're like, you know, that was cool. But if I did this, this and this, and then it makes that idea or that movement that much better. Yeah. Well, so I'm, of course, curious how you discovered the impact of that on the people you led. Did someone once say, hey, I don't know where we're going or would it, why are we pivoting again? Or how did you know as a leader that that was not a good way to go? Yeah, that's a great point because your employee employees can start seeing or, or your teammates or whoever you're working with can start seeing that you don't seem to have any direction, that you're constantly pivoting. Now, in my case, I, I do pivot, but I'm still moving forward and I, I'm still going in the same direction. And as long as a team, like I said, as long as you clearly state where you're going to end up, mm -hmm. those little pivots aren't as impactful. But if you don't clearly articulate where you're going and you squirrel too much, then it makes it look like to your teammates that this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's constantly going off in different tangents and different directions. And they don't appreciate when you do come back and you're focused because they're looking to be like, well, how long till he goes off and squirrels again? Right. So, so was there a moment where someone said, what are you doing and where are we going? Yeah. One of my coworkers pulled me aside and, and kind of, cause I was getting frustrated that, that folks weren't more into what we were doing. They were just showing up and, mm -hmm. and they'd sit in meetings and, and, and I'm just like, what's going on? Because a couple of weeks ago, everybody was like really, really excited about this. And, and he said, well, it's kind of coming across that you're either taking on too much or you're, 
going too many different directions. I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm going in the same direction. I'm just looking at things from different perspectives. And he's like, yeah, but the message you're sending is you're not focused. You're not, you're mm. not showing by example, being dedicated to job at hand, right? You're making it very clear that if you, if you can't stay focused, why should they? So what did you adjust then thereafter, just communicating more frequently with them or? Well, no, I was, I was open kimono. I told him, I said, I know I have an issue where I, I tend to come across as I'm going in these other directions, but I wanted to explain to you what I was doing and why and how those play into what we're doing. And, and at that point, they kind of got a better feel for, oh, okay. So he isn't just going off on all these tangents, you know, because some days you'd be working on revenue and the other days you'd be working on marketing. But during a revenue meeting, I'd be, hey, you know, on that marketing campaign, they're like, wait a minute, we're not here to talk about that. Right. So once they, they understood what I was doing, and then I also came back and said, I, and I will commit myself to being more focused. You know, it's a lot easier just to tell the truth and be honest with folks than mm-hmm. to try to act like it's no big deal and, and it's their problem. So you just, you suck it up. You say, listen, I, I, I understand some people have been seeing this and I recognize that and I'm going to work on it and let's work on it together. And I bet right now you're connecting the dots for your team members and or your investors as to how Space Crystals ties in and piggybacks off of your Waypoint 2 space, right? Yeah, because I mean, that's one thing that entrepreneurs also get accused of is, you know, they focus on something and, and they come up with a really, really great idea. And then they come up with a totally different idea. And that takes all of their focus and the investors and the employees and everybody are like, wait a minute, why are you over there? And in my case, you know, we have a really great idea with the Waypoint to Space program, which is how to train people to go to space. I had one mm-hmm. gentleman come to me and he was an investor in SpaceX and, and some of these other aerospace companies. And, and he said, so to give me a quick 60 second version of what you're doing. I said, well, we're following the NASA space shuttle model, which is when the space shuttle was flying, they had seven people going up, two of which were pilots, pilot and co-pilot, and then the five people in the back were scientists. They didn't need to know how to fly the plane. They just needed to know what the space environment was like and how to train for that, what it did to your body, your eyes, your muscles, your bones, and how to prepare for that. They call it the payload specialist program. So we built programs based on that to train the passengers, the people that are going to be flying, the scientists, the tourists, and get them prepared to fly to space. And he goes, well, that's great, but I don't see your market after 10 years. I said, okay, why? He goes, well, once these guys start flying successfully to and from orbit, they're not going to need this hardcore space training program. Okay, (laughs) I don't necessarily agree with that because space is a very hostile environment, so it's not, astronauts can train for years and still get space sickness. So I said, okay, well, let me ask you this. Do you agree that there's going to be space hotels and you know moon bases and that and he goes oh absolutely so you agree there's going to be places for these people to go these tourists scientists to do their experiments he goes absolutely i say great who's going to clean the rooms after these folks leave who's going to maintain the systems and turn the bolts and and fix the power systems i said you're going to see an entire infrastructure of service personnel following the oil and gas market where you're six months out on the rig and then you're six months home but in this case you're six months on orbit hmm. you're cleaning up after these rich people 
where you're fixing everything and waiting for the next group to come. And then you go back to Earth for six months. And he goes, now you got me. So the waypoint to space idea was to how do we train the folks that are going to go into space? So how it ties into space crystals is with the waypoint to space, we're going after high net worth individuals that are actually training to go to space. And with space crystals, we're going after the exact same market because only high net worth individuals can afford the $150,000 price tag for this service. So it's not too far of a pivot. We're targeting the exact same folks for both companies. And Waypoint to Space actually owns a percentage of space crystals. So there is a definite tie there. Very good. So, you know, a lot of leaders like yourself have been through crisis, but what do you have to say for new leaders when it's an unexpected event? What's the tip or two you have for them to make it through crisis? Well, it, it's interesting because I always follow the mantra of the, the 10 second rule. When, whenever you face something that's unexpected, you got to take the 10 seconds because your initial reaction most likely will be wrong. Mm -hmm. So you got to take a deep breath. You got to focus. Sometimes if you're in the middle of a meeting and, and, and that topic it comes up, you have to say, let's table it. Let's table that discussion because you know it's going to be heated. You know there's going to be a lot of emotions involved and you have to take that out of it and deal with the, the logic and, and how to deal with it rather than the emotions. So, mm -hmm. you know, in crisis mode, sometimes you can get so wrapped up in, in the feelings and, and how it what could possibly happen that you don't focus on what you need to do right now. What do we need to do right now? We can't solve tomorrow and the next day. So what can we do and what can we focus on right now that we can control? And then we take a deep breath and figure out, okay, what are we doing tomorrow? Wow, what a wonderful gift you just gave a lot of leaders. So I'm sure people want to know more about you and your company. So they can go to myspacecrystals.com and I'll put that in the description. But thanks again for taking the time to share your wisdom on this podcast. And, you know, I'm sure that you had many people wondering what you're doing with your outside the box ideas. So thanks for continuing to, what did you say earlier, being consistent and persistent? <laughs> Persistency and consistency. Yes. So thank you for being on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.